Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics blog podcast feed. This episode releases on Tuesday. I am your host, Adam Motenko. My co-hosts, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. What's up, guys? That's right. Twin brother. Adam was nine minutes older, but my wingspan is two inches longer. (laughs) And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Mike? How's your wingspan? My wingspan is probably a little bit uh, less than both of yours, uh, but I'm, I feel confident that I've got a little bit more uh, hip, hip flexibility, as, as Josh always likes to talk about. Adam, you remember when we measured and, and you were like super jealous? You were like, what? Why is your wingspan like a, an inch or two longer? I don't remember that, but I, I feel the need to, to suggest that I have a stronger base, so I'm able to hold my own in the post, despite what apparently is a shorter wingspan than you, Josh. Uh, today on the today on the podcast, we are going to hit some recent news, uh, the impending return of the NBA and NBA the NBA involvement in protests against police brutality and racial inequality, and then somehow we're going to transition to talking about uh, the NBA and the Boston Celtics all time redheaded basketball teams. Would the Celtics all time redhead team beat the rest of the NBA? It's getting to that with COVID, everybody, and no games. So we're excited about the return. Before we end, we will hit another installment of Stories from Celtics History. But to start us off first, the NBA inches day by day closer to a return on Thursday. The Board of Governors are expected to vote. Uh, They're expected to approve uh, Adam Silver's plan to return in Orlando, bringing 22 teams back. Uh, Mike, you have some additional information here on what that might look like. Yeah, so it's looking increasingly likely, uh, if not outright certain, that the NBA is going to play more games. I guess there's still uh, plenty of doubt on whether the Celtics will be or the Celtics uh, NBA will be able to complete um, a season. But as you noted, it's looking like Adam Silver is going to propose, and it's going to be voted on. Uh, Thursday, June 4th, um, by the NBA Board of Governors for a 22-team return. That 22-team would include the 16 current playoff teams based on the standings as they've been frozen in, uh, in for the past two and a half months, uh, plus uh, the six teams within six games of the eight seed. That's five Western Conference teams, Portland, New Orleans, San Antonio, Spurs, Phoenix, Sacramento, and one Eastern Conference team, the Washington Wizards. Um, so what that what it sounds like it's going to entail would be some small subset of training camp games to get players back into shape. Then what I'm imagining would be the number of regular seasons regular season games required for each team to get them to 72 games. So, for example, the Celtics have played 64 games to to date. So they would, I'm guessing, have eight regular season games, and that 72 games is important because it means that the um, regional regional sports networks, the RSNs, uh, get their their payout, and it it helps the league's revenue bottom line. And then it would go into kind of a short play in tournament, which I think would involve the seven and eight seeds from each conference. Though I'm not hundred percent certain on that. Um, and then it would go into the, the normal playoffs by all accounts. This is still going to be a, a campus environment in Orlando, uh, uh, Walt Disney world. Um, and 
yeah, well, if if it truly is that number of regular season games, you know, it it would be more likely than not that the Celtics would stay between the second and fourth seed and probably just stay right at the third seed and then uh, would almost definitely end up playing either the Pacers or the Sixers in the first round of the playoffs. Josh, last time we talked, you were very reluctant to to believe that this would end up happening. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm in the same place I was in before. I think that it all the talk about starting up the season is great. I'm hoping it starts. I can't see a champion being crowned because I don't see it going well if they're all in a bubble and one person, whether it's a player or a family member of a player or even a worker in the bubble, uh, gets the coronavirus and tests positive. I think that that could throw a big wrench in all these plans that seem so optimistic right now. So uh, I'm still looking forward to brisket. The way, the way they're talking about it is they're just going to keep it moving if that happens. This is not, Mike, you spoke a little bit about the implications or lack thereof on the Celtics uh, related to that return. One of the ways that this could have an effect is actually on the Celtics draft pick that they're going to get from Memphis this year. Uh, the Grizzlies are in the eighth seed. As you mentioned, they're three and a half games ahead of all three of Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento and four games ahead of the San Antonio Spurs. This New Orleans team has Zion, uh, so they are expected to play better than they did at the beginning of the season and that their record would indicate. Portland is getting players back. Nurkic, um, the other big, what's his name? Zach Collins. Zach Collins. Um, so there, there's a, it's not an insignificant chance that Memphis actually falls out of the eighth seed. They're currently, uh, because they're in the eighth seed, they're currently scheduled to send the Celtics the number 17 draft pick. But if they fall out, that's 14 or lower, depending on how things end up lining up. So uh, obviously that is going to be determined a lot by the number of games played. Uh, number one, number two, who Memphis ends up playing. They they had the, the I think, hardest uh, strength of schedule remainder of the season going into the um, COVID situation. But I expect those games to, to shift depending on who's in the bubble. Yeah. And it, I mean, it raises some question as to how, cause Memphis was supposed to have like one of the toughest strength of schedules remaining and it, it uh, new Orleans was supposed to have one of the easiest raises some questions, how the league is going to try to take that into account as they schedule out the remainder of these regular season games. Um, it, We'll see. We'll see what it looks like. I think it's supposed to be July 31st is uh, or like mid July is when teams would report. And then prospectively July 31st is when at least the training camp games might start up again. Um, It's all that the timing is a bit uncertain, but they're, they're kind of running out and an article by Paolo Getty at the ringer was uh, surmising or, or anticipating that the league might want to wrap things up before September 10th. Um, which is when the NFL kickoff kicks off its new season. Uh, that would give only 41 days for the regular season games and playoffs. That that seems wow. uh, a bit difficult to envision, but but it does kind of highlight just how short a fuse um, the there is when, when you start looking closely at the calendar. So, well, we will continue to track uh, the developments towards this return. Let's talk about how the NBA has been involved in in these protests that have. Uh, going on in the, over the last week uh, in response to the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department, among many others. 
Jalen Brown led, drove from Boston down to uh, his hometown of Atlanta. I believe he's from Marietta. 15 hours to lead his own, uh, well, not his own, but to lead, to, to take part in and, and play a leadership role in protests, uh, peaceful protests against it. He went on Instagram and, and has been a really public and positive uh, Celtic involved in, in uh, speaking up against these injustices. Uh, Mike, there's, there's a lot that you wanted to get into here related to this and related to both the NBA and the Boston Celtics. Absolutely. Yeah. So for those that have somehow been oblivious to what's been going on for the past week, um, George Floyd, a 46 year old black man in Minnesota was killed by four police officers during what should have been a routine citation and perhaps arrest. Um, Derek Chauvin, one of those officers is facing charges of third degree murder and manslaughter. Uh, the three other officers involved have not been charged to this moment, though they have all lost their jobs and, and may still face charges. Um, this has obviously led to quite a lot of outrage, um, frustration, hurt uh, that is representative of, of decades, if not centuries, of kind of historical context for Black community um, within the United States. As white podcasters, we are bringing this up for a reason. Um, and for those listening, if your reaction is stick to sports, there, there's, that doesn't work here. Uh, basketball is a majority black sport, and you can't enjoy the achievements of these phenomenal individuals and, of course, athletes um, without respecting the realities of their lives and the lives of so many that look like them. The NBA has these phenomenal individuals Adam, you just spoke to Jalen Brown, who's really showing who he is as a as a human <laughs> and the leadership yep. role that he's taken on in organizing peaceful protests, peaceful um, demonstrations of not being okay with the status quo, driving those 15 hours to Atlanta, playing that leadership role in, in their um, peaceful march. Uh, there's been a number of other influential NBA and other other parts of sport like NFL um, head coaches, uh, black head coaches in particular that have released powerful statements. Uh, Doc Rivers released one today on behalf of himself and the Los Angeles Clippers. Monty Williams uh, released a call to action for all individuals to to step up and and speak out um, with with the appropriate uh, approach in response to, to what's going on and what's been going on. Um, Steven Jackson shared some very powerful words with Carl uh, Anthony Towns in attendance in, in Minnesota. Steven uh, Jackson was friends with George Floyd. Yes. And he called him twin. They were, they were very, very close. Um, so, you know, ultimately if you are listening and you're, you struggle to understand where the anger, frustration, hurt, fear, um, comes from within the black community educate yourself understand the history uh, of this country the 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 injustice that the black community has to face regularly um and then if you are white and you agree with what we said it's not enough to just sit there with agreement but you have to take action uh, that that meaningfully um changes the status quo and it's very important that it comes from not just the black community, but from the white community as well. 
Let's also not forget that this happened to uh, an NBA player at the beginning of the season, a similar type of police incident with Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks. He was at, uh, parked in a handicapped spot outside of a pharmacy or in a pharmacy parking lot at two in the morning. And, um, you know, a, a police officer comes and all of a sudden, after a while, you know, he's not the most amenable to what they're asking, but all of a sudden now there's three, four cop cars and he's on the ground being tased and police officers are, you know, later on are being fired and things like that. So um, this is happening to the NBA. Toposefalosha had a similar incident a few years ago right. in Manhattan with the yeah. police uh, where they broke his leg and he won a lawsuit against them. Um, and he just uh, came out and said, George Floyd could have been me. This is a Boston-related thing. There is a great article by Mark Spears uh, called Being a Black Player in Boston, published on The Undefeated in, in, uh, on February 29th of this year. Go read that story if you haven't. It is phenomenal. It documents uh, the history of racism in Boston related to black athletes, uh, from the N-word being yelled at uh, uh, Fenway Park not too long ago, uh, to D. Brown when he first came to Boston, uh, be outside of a, uh, I want to say it was a jewelry store in Needham or Newton getting thrown to the ground by police officers, guns drawn, uh, because they mistook him for somebody else that had robbed a store going all the way back to Bill Russell and people breaking into his house and, and defecating in his bed. Um, this is, this is Boston has a, a deep history of racism. Um, and, and these incidents are, are, uh, concern for NBA players, including in Boston. Um, the NBA recently, um, with with the um, uh, the GM search for the Bulls, they just hired. Uh, remind me who this was? Not Karnasovas, the guy underneath him. The first African American GM, I want to say, in the NBA. Is that right? First, no, he's not the first African. No, Dell Demps. There's been plenty. Oh. There was there were people there were coaches and front office executives uh, while that search was happening, basically saying, "Why aren't they interviewing anybody of color?" Mark Obvi Eversley. Mark Eversley, thank you. Uh, obviously, uh, that's a totally different situation than the life and death situation when uh, a, a black or brown man, usually typically, but not always, is in a situation with the police where uh, they are just com com treated completely differently. Uh, than someone who looks the way that that all of us do uh, as as white men. So, um, and this really requires the white community to be speaking up and standing up um, to in defense of these injustices to create change. That is what is going to shift this. This is not just a black community issue. It impacts them, uh, the black and brown community. But uh, for this to shift, it's going to require all of us. Uh, so this is, you know, let's, let's support the foundation that, that, that are, uh, America's, uh, values in, in written into law. Any additional thoughts on this? Well, in yes, generally, but not for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. So now, uh, to transition to a lighter topic, a, a population that is historically far less marginalized, which is gingers, redheads. Um, we wanted to, to take our, this COVID opportunity to uh, look at the players in the NBA who are redheads, especially on the Celtics, and, and figure out uh, what would it look like if you played a, a, 
if you put a team together of redheaded Celtics players all time and they played off against the rest of the NBA, who would win in that situation? Not the rest of the NBA, but the rest of the NBA's redhead players. I mean, the Celtics have had their share of redhead players. Um, it's almost, it seems like it's predominantly a red uh, Celtics list. Um, but this came about recently, old Celtics blog friend Kevin O'Connor on a recent podcast with Bill Simmons. They were redrafting the 2004 draft and we're talking about Danny Ainge and his desires to trade for Robert Swift, um, who, if we remember, is was a redhead seven-footer out of high school with post moves that were far superior than his, his age. You know, he was... People were comparing him to Kevin McHale, um, and he flamed out and had a lot of personal issues and um, is last on anyone's redhead player list. But you know, they started listing, well, let's make a redhead list, Robert Swift, um, Scalabrini, and then they kind of didn't continue. And I was listening, thinking like, wait, hold on a second. Let's make this list. So to set this list up, this is redheads kind of since 1980. I'm not going to go back to 1947. And, and rehash all of the redheads. Um, and if you do a Google search, you know, you'll find in you know, 10 minutes all the redheads on this list at least. Um, so this is dating back to 1980 or around 1980. Another caveat to this list, this is natural redheads only. So we're not talking Dennis Rodman. And there's no red beards allowed. If you've got a red beard and you don't have red hair, that's not allowed. Did you say we're only going back to 1980? Yeah, 1980 or thereabouts. You know, so guys on this list played in, in that era or after that era. Um, maybe some of them started their career before 1980, but they played in 1980. And, and that, yeah, I didn't want to go too far back with this. So if, if you're listening and you want to help me go further back than 1980 or 1978, let's do that. And and we just need to be we just need to be clear. The reason that red beards are not considered redheads is that they're simply not. They're not redheads. I once had a red beard before it went horribly white, um, <laughs> and, and I, you, I am I am decidedly not a redhead. If you are sitting there proudly with your ginger beard and brown top and thinking that you are this is a podcast for you, I, I just want to be clear: you are not a real redhead. You should not feel proud. And within that caveat, there are some players on this list who could be argued against being a redhead. Chase Budinger. You know, you could argue he's a blonde, but he's strawberry blonde. I put him on there. Luke Herringoti, I'm saying no to him. Brad Lowhouse. Hey, don't, 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 don't just give all the names out now. We got we to gotta get into this. <laughs> well, these, so these are names, though, that are in, in a category that I wanted to bring up in the beginning because they're debatable. You know, Brad Lodehouse is also debatable. The only one on that list that bears repeating further in this conversation because they're actually good enough is Mark Eaton. Um, you could argue that Mark Eaton had brown hair and, and wasn't really a redhead, but, but I, I think he was a redhead. He's got that tinge in his hair, as do some other players on this list because this list includes biracial players. Uh, Delonte West would probably be the first one to come to mind for a lot of people listening to this podcast. Let's start with some subgroups before I jump into the list. All right, There's some players on this list who I need to get your opinions on, um, and I think they kind of fall into some interesting groups. So Delonte West was mentioned. Um, other redheads that come to mind of this current era, who've, both of whom have played only two years in the NBA, Dante DiVincenzo and Kevin Herter. If I had to put a gun to your head, boys, Delonte West, Dante DiVincenzo, or Kevin Herter, who would you choose? You're starting a team right now, gun to your head. Kevin Herter. DiVincenzo. Really? See, I take Delonte West. Yeah, but you are Delonte West. Yeah. So before we get into this topic, let me go over some nicknames, right? Delonte West, his nickname is Reds. 
Dante DiVincenzo, his nickname is the Big Ragu. Kevin Herter. How can you beat that? <laughs> Kevin Herter, his nickname is Red Velvet. Who's got the best nickname? Ooh. I mean, can we just eliminate Delante right now? He obviously it's obviously between Herder and DiVincenzo. Yeah, the big ragu or the big ragu, ragu or red velvet. Red velvet's pretty good though too. The big ragu is the best nickname, but but it's I, I think the the ragu is 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 that more associated with the redness of the sauce or the fact that DiVincenzo has an Italian name? I think it's both. I think it's yeah. a combination. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. So if we're trying to find the name that is most associated with being a redhead, then I think the the red velvet is is the best. And I've heard broadcasters refer to Kevin Herter as Red Velvet. I've never heard the Big Ragu mentioned. I was going to say, you, you can use Red Velvet in the context of a game. You can't really like shout out the Big Ragu after a meaningful three. Like It just doesn't work the same way. If you're really Italian, you prefer a, a red sauce uh, made by grandma at home as well. So. so, gun to your head. I'm not talking about one of the guns Delante West had in that backpack when he was riding that motorcycle <laughs> that one time. But I think Delante West is the best of the bunch. I, I like his toughness and ability to do everything on the court more than the other two guys. And all three players on this list were league average three-point shooters and around 10 points per game. Just, you know, just because you're threatening stats. to put a gun to our head doesn't mean we have to agree with that take, Josh. <laughs> so why? We saw Delante's whole career. We saw Delante's whole career. We have not yet seen DiVincenzo or Kevin Herter's whole career. What are they, both in year three? Yeah, they'll, well, this is year two. I have to project out a, at least a little bit. Even if they were to get injured halfway through their career and not be able to play anymore, I still expect their careers to be better than Delonte West's. I feel DiVincenzo has like that, and it, it's coincidental, I guess, or maybe not, that they're on the or that they were on the same team. They were drafted by the same team, but he has that like Malcolm Brogdon vibe going where he just is like steady and solid and reliable and does the right thing over and over and over again and i i delante had some like awesome moments and he would he was gritty and tough and he would have surprising athleticism and he would have some kind of good anticipatory plays on defense where he'd get steals but he wasn't always consistent and and i think over the course of a career those guys that are just always doing the right things and are steady and and divincenzo's got some of that grit to him i don't know i would if i were gonna like pick one player to have on my team for the next 10 years that's the guy i'd go with what's the context for this conversation josh i'm trying to decide if i care enough to say more are these guys well, making are we are we are they getting cut if we if this is part I of the think, all nba squad right this is starting yeah this lineup. is this is you're, we're just this, we're we're subcategorizing this redhead list because it's interesting there's another position that we're going to subcategorize next this is the shooting guard position and it's kind of the lower level of the of the list um one thing to note here dante divincenzo and kevin herter definitely more athletic than the average white american player in the nba i don't know if it's because of the red hair but worth mentioning you guys ready to move on to the next subcategory? Uh, I think so. So, so at the three-four spot, the shooter spot, the guy who can also guard the the power forward position, we have a list of Davis Bertans, Brian Scalabrini, and Matt Bonner. Gun to your head, who do you take? Ew! Do I have to take any of them? Yeah, you got to take one. Bertans. Yeah, I think it's got to be Bertans. So Better that's shooter. what I would have thought too. Better but, shooter. Matt Bonner played well with the Spurs, but it, it, because of that system. 
You put, I mean, I think Bertans has played better in the same system. So Davis Bertans only in his fourth year right now. Obviously, he's on a terrible team, so he's getting up 15 points a game. So definitely the best stats of the bunch. And we all know that Davis Bertans is is a heck of a three point shooter, and, and you know one of the best in the entire NBA, uh, shooting 41 percent for his career, 42, 43 the last couple of years. Matt Bonner also played in. Uh, 10 seasons he played he uh, averaged 40 41.3% from 3 and had seasons of 45.7% from 3 Matt Bonner was just as good of a shooter as Davis Bertans is right now and I think we forget that I don't forget how good he was he was just only a catch and shoot player he, if he had wide open shots he could hit them Davis Bertans I think can actually create his own shots somewhat yeah he's a, he's a wonderful guy and that's it yeah i don't i don't know that i would put creation on <laughs> at the top yeah. of uh in this nba Davis one dribble Bertans. is all it takes to, to create your own shot i'm not so, saying he's like creating off the dribble necessarily okay but. which which alliterative nickname is better red rocket or latvian laser or red mamba white mamba white mamba my bad or one of brian scalabrini's other nicknames the ginger ninja <laughs> <laughs> All right, keep going. Let's move this along. All right. When you look at this list, this list starts with five players. There's really only five solid to all-star players on this list. Dave Cowens. Which list? Is this the NBA or the Celtics? This is the general list. All all across the whole NBA. All redheads. Dave Cowens. Yep. Blake Griffin. Okay. Bill Walton. Yep. Dennis Johnson from the Celtics. Yep. And Mark Eaton. What? And I just want to, I just want to share you know, one the of list. those. One of those things is not like the others. Yeah, <laughs> is this an SAT prep question? No, Mark, no, let me... Mark Eden does not belong on the group yeah. down with the other, the other four guys. Oh really? Oh yes. really? Uh, yes. Let me remind you that Mark Eaton averaged three and a half blocks for his career. Don't care per game. Uh-huh, he had so? seasons of five point six blocks per game. Don't care. Uh-huh. And three seasons over four blocks a game. That's ridiculous. Right now, the top block shot blockers in the NBA are averaging, you know, two, two and a half a game. What were the rest of Mark Eden's stats? Uh oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Josh, even in Mark Eden for his career, even in the nineteen eighties, when Mark Eaton played, and everything, every ball was funneled into the paint, which was the best time <laughs> for him to be playing. He still wasn't like. He didn't. He wasn't a hugely impactful player. Yeah, he blocked and he altered shots. He didn't do a whole lot else, dude. He was, he was like a stiff who could block shots. Sorry, Mark Eaton. That that was that's my recollection of your game. Yeah, you were right. He averaged six points a game. Um, <laughs> you know, he he had a good field goal percentage, but but I needed to make sure that people understood this seven four two hundred seventy five pound mountain of a man was an elite elite shot blocker. So you can say he was he was a stiff in every other regard, but he was not a stiff because he had that role. Uh, in today's NBA, obviously, he'd be a slow, plodding big man, and we wouldn't want him. Do you know who, who averaged a similar number of block shots per game for their career? Not many people. Minute Bull. Who do you got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> these, these, you know, he, and this is an era of elite shot blockers that didn't do much else. I'm, I'm just saying, would you really put Minute Bull in the same conversation as the other four guys on that list? I don't think people realize how good Minute Bull was. I think they think they look at his points per game, same with Mark Eaton, six points per game for his career. Oh, he sucks. No, it's, it's 
this in order to get to the NBA, you need an NBA transferable skill, and those two guys had that in space. Josh, so, you're the only one. You're the outlier here. Everybody else remembers these players as they were, basically <laughs> stiffs who could block shots. That's it. You're the one that is is looking back more fondly. What I will say about Mark Eaton is that he definitely had the best ginger beard of all time in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, unless uh, you'd have to go Bill Walton in that category as well. I mean, Walton clearly is the greatest redheaded player of all time, given how he played early in his career. See, I would beg okay. to differ. This is not because... a conversation over greatest redhead player of all time. Can we get to the game that the people want? The matchup that the people are clamoring for, which is the all-time Celtics redheaded team versus the rest of the NBA's all-time all-redhead team. Absolutely. You know who starts at center for the NBA's all-redheaded team? Adam? I mean, it's got to be Walton. Exactly. So well said. Early in his career, Bill Walton had some really amazing numbers. At 6'11", he was having seasons of 18, 19 points per game, 14 rebounds a game, including four or five assists a game. So, I mean, he was dominating, and, and we all remember that he's one of the greatest NCAA players of all time. Um, his career was cut short after four seasons because of his injury. So he, you know, he really only had four seasons of dominance. And, uh, some of us remember him and his stint with the Celtics. Um, so that would be an interesting matchup, but the guy on the Celtics, all redhead team that guards Bill Walton is Dave Cowens. And Dave Cowens put up some very impressive numbers himself. Undersized, the big red or Dave, the rave nicknames were not as good back then. Um, average, you know, 19, 20 points per game as well. 15, 16 rebounds a game. Also had four or five assists a game for several years in a row. Um, and just really held it down in an era when there were a lot of good bigs in the seventies and eighties. So I, Adam, I don't know if he's clear, if Bill Walton is clearly ahead of Dave Cowens. Well, so here's like, what I would say to that. Bob Ryan, the greatest redheaded sports writer uh, focusing on the Celtics in Boston sports writing history uh, called, uh, I believe I, I could be mistaken, but he, he basically called early um, uh, Bill Walton, the greatest center of, uh, of all time that he thinks he would have been the greatest center of all time, or he's the greatest center he ever saw that he had that kind of a sentiment. So it, had Walton's feet held up, he would have been right up there with Kareem and Wilt and and Russell, so I, so I, that's a better player than Cowens. Now, if you're taking 86 Walton, of course Cowens is much better. Well, I think it's debatable. Um, I'm also curious now. We're calling Bob Ryan a redhead. Are we also calling Dan Shaughnessy a redhead? I feel like these are two blondes. We're giving well, these are two Chase Budingers. Uh, I look it up. Bob Ryan's a redhead. He's he's white now, right. but uh, you know you know when when things turn white, you uh, you still identify strongly with what what happened before previously. All right, at the power forward position, we have a matchup of Celtics, Bill Walton, and God, unfortunately, going up against Blake Griffin. This is not looking good. Unless you're trying to go big with the uh, the NBA team and having Mark Eaton on there, you're kind of you have a decision here between Mark Eaton and Davis Bertans. Um, whether you want to go super big or or you know have some more perimeter players on the team, but I'm it's sorry. looking like Blake Griffin is playing the four against. Bill Walton. Are you guys saying, are you saying that uh, you have Cowan starting at the Celtic center? Yeah, or Walton at the center, but I don't want Walton playing against Bill Walton. 
<laughs> what? I don't think I don't like that matchup. I want Dave Cowens guarding NBA. I'm so confused. Is, is if a player on this list played for the Celtics, is he a Celtic or is he from the rest of the NBA? Celtics Bill Walton is not going to be able to guard many of these players. I'm I don't understand what we're talking about here. We have we have two lists, Adam. We have the Celtics redhead list, which as of right now has Celtics Bill Walton and Dave Cowens. So and that's we have 86 the, Walton. Yeah. So the, it, it's only the, it's only that player's time during the Celtics. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. And, and like understand. same with Delonte West. Okay. Right. Delonte West had three or four years with the Celtics, and that was it. Okay. So so like Dennis Johnson on on the the Sonics beats Dennis Johnson on the Celtics. I don't know. Dennis Johnson on the Celtics won championships. So <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yes, this is a ridiculous list during COVID nineteen. Selected at our convenience. <laughs> so I've got Davis Bertans and Blake Griffin as the other two forwards on the NBA list. I've got Scalabrini and Bill Walton as the other two forwards on the Celtics list. Blake Griffin is he the is he not the best of all time? Okay, I think just what just list each five. Yeah, thank you. Can we clarify this? <laughs> this this order is out of control. Celtics, Dave Cowens. Bill Walton, Brian Scalabrini, Delonte West, Dennis Johnson. Coach That's by. the starting five. Coached by Red Auerbach. On its own, it's impressive that the Celtics can run out as starting five of all redheads. Uh, the NBA's list. Oh, hold, Bill on, Walton. Just, hold on, hold on. Before you get to that, can we just talk about this list for a second? I, this is a l- huge team. Say it yeah, again. Cowens, Cow- Cowens Walton, Walton, 86 Walton. Scalabrini. Unfortunately, Scalabrini is on the list. Delante West. Dennis Johnson. I mean, it's a solid squad. Yeah, yeah you got Cowens and Dennis Johnson holding it down. Yeah, exactly. You've got you've got Delante bringing some grit. You've got Scalabrini just being the consummate glue, you know, filler filler guy. He'll set your screens and he'll box out your players and get no no stats. And then you know, Walt Walton's got the high post passing. He's got. This is a very good passing team. Very this is good. A very good team. <laughs> team full of team players who are going to do whatever it takes. You know what to they're win. not very good at? Scoring in the yes, final. They're not very good at scoring. <laughs> yeah, they don't have that one guy to really get to be the bucket getter when you need a bucket. All right, who are they going against? They're going against '70s Bill Walton. Blake Griffin, Davis Bertans, so Scal has an easy assignment, and then they have no point guard, and this is the, this is the thing with this team. They have Dante DiVincenzo and Kevin Herter, unless you're putting Dennis Johnson on that team, yeah. which I hadn't. Okay, Why so yeah, Dennis not? Johnson's on that team, and you're taking either DiVincenzo, yeah, D- either, Dennis, either DiVincenzo or Kevin wait, Herter. Wait, didn't Dennis Johnson win the MVP when he played for the Sonics? No. No? <laughs> no, no. Dennis Johnson has never won an MVP. But he was a scoring champion for the Celtics. I mean, for the Sonics. He was their team scoring champion. He wasn't the league scoring champion. He was. I don't think so. He never scored no, more he than averaged, 80 points. Yeah. He was a 20-point-per-game scorer, and that was better than he ever did with the Celtics because he took a backseat to all the other legends. Dennis Johnson was an offensive stalwart for that Sonics team. He, he led that Sonics team. Dennis Johnson also definitely falls into that questionable, questionably applicable as a redhead category. Dennis Johnson is as much of a redhead as Delonte West is. 
Um, so obviously this is a better NBA red, all redhead team, right? You've got Walton in his prime. You've got Blake Griffin jumping over everybody. Um, and you've got, you know, what Adam thinks is a, a better or more offensive or oriented Dennis Johnson. Um, they are coached by Lawrence Frank. Clear coaching mismatch. Exactly. That's where I think Red Auerbach and his team full of do whatever it takes to win guys, you know, has at least a prayer. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is hard to um, see how a team with the worst version of two all-time players <laughs> wins this matchup. But yeah, no, I, I hear you on the on the grit and heart factor. Um, I'm not trusting the grit and heart of a team with Bertans and Herder as much as I am a team with, you know, Cowens and Delante. So um, Dennis Johnson was the 1978-79 finals MVP. That's what I've been thinking about. Adam, who are you taking? <laughs> I'm taking the NBA here. That w- Walton, early Walton is, is better, is the best player here. Blake Griffin, I think uh, he can hold his own against uh, the Cowans of the world. And um, I, I'm taking an early Dennis Johnson over a late Dennis Johnson. You know, Blake could even play point guard for that team, even without without DJ. Early career Blake never got to play the, as much kind of point forward as he should have because of uh, being on the same team as CP3. That's true. Um, one more Nickname to mention, Bill Walton. Obviously, he was Big Red, but he was also Grateful Red because he was a big Grateful <laughs> Dead fan. And the point guard position here seems okay. a little underrepresented. Um, Dennis Johnson and Delonte West are the only ones capable of playing point on this entire list. And, however, they're, they're going to get a little, bit of, a little bit of a boost in the draft this year with Nico Mannion coming in, uh, the redhead out of Arizona. So, you know, he's potentially like a like a John Stockton type of guy, uh, Steve Nash type, you know, and, and we're not really sure how well those guys can, can play in this era. You know, the, the smaller, he's 6'3", 175 or so, um, you know, really good shooter, really good distributor. But, you know, with, with the speed of the game and the size and physicality of everybody at the NBA level, it's, it's, a, it's unclear whether someone like that is going to have a good career in the NBA. But I'm keeping my eye on that redhead. Given where the Celtics are drafting, I think there's a chance that he might end up on this team, and and the you know the fact that you draft a redhead to uh, the Boston area that people are going to like that. And there you have it. We'll talk more about Nico when we get to uh, to the, the NBA draft. Oh. Well, is that segment so, over? <laughs> brutal? Uh, so Adam, you take <laughs> you take the NBA. Mike, do you take the NBA or you take the Celtics? I think I got to take the NBA as well. But, you know, if it's a best of seven series, I, I think it could go 4-2. I'm taking the Celtics. I'm taking the coaching experience. What a homer. Of a red arrow back. And, and I just like the idea of this team with no alpha dog, you know, just gutting it out against a team that, you know, is a lot of uh, questionable characters. You know, this guy Bill Walton and, and – uh, <laughs> <laughs> Davis Bertans, where is he from? Like, come on now. Oh, so we're being xenophobic in our <laughs> in our analysis. Um, yeah, I just I just don't see how the Celtics team is going to score. To be honest, I mean they they can pass it all day. They'll get some buckets, but you know if it's if it's a rock fight, uh, getting late in the game, I'm going to trust a 
a Bill Walton, Bertans, Blake Griffin front court to be able to score some buckets. And then they can pass it out to Red Velvet behind the arc. You know, they just got some more options offensively. Well, good luck getting Davis Bertans and Blake Griffin to play excellent help side defense because they're going to need it with all the movement we're going to have with these Celtics <laughs> offense. That's true. This motion That's true. <laughs> is about to be serious. Okay, well, that segment is mercifully over. We now shift to a segment that we call Stories from Celtics History. We have talked on previous podcasts about how uh, former Celtics assistant coach Clifford Ray saved a dolphin's life by reaching into its stomach. We've talked about how the 1960s Celtics made Jerry West want to quit basketball. Today, uh, we come to uh, a slightly different topic. Uh, and I want to kick this off by just asking the two of you, Name Celtics players in history who you could envision performing the halftime entertainment at a Celtics game. Walter McCarty as a singer. Yep, Walter could sing. Yeah. I got nothing. Shaquille O'Neal would be good. Oh, yeah. I could see him breakdancing and rapping with Fushnick. I just forgot that he was a Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? I could see Nate Robinson doing something. I don't know what. Leaping onto people, <laughs> uh, to big baby and other shoulders. Yeah, I could see, I could totally see Nate Robinson doing like uh, dunking off trampolines. That would be cool. I mean, we even have a team right now full of guys who are just interesting, smart individuals who I feel like would have other skills. Like if you told me Jalen Brown all of a sudden has been learning to play the guitar for the last three years and now he's really good, like I believe you. Or if you well, told me that Marcus Smart, oh really? <laughs> if you told me Marcus Smart, yeah, we. We know that Marcus Smart, you know, grew up doing uh, gymnastics and acrobatic things, and he can like lay on his back and kick his legs up, and, and all of a sudden be standing up. Um, it's called a kip. So, kip. Up. Okay, so I, you know, I could see Marcus Smart doing some halftime entertainment stuff. What do you got, Adam? So I want. Uh, this is a story about a guy named Tony Lavelli, who may have saved the Boston Celtics because he played a halftime show. The halftime show. Okay. So I want you to imagine a scenario here that the Celtics have the number four pick in the draft. And they, let's say this year, they select a very smart scoring small forward. But in order to sign that player, they have to agree to let that player perform music at halftime. How would you feel about this pick? Not good. (laughs) You'd be concerned? I think that's pretty exciting. I'm in. Let's do it. What if the half? What if the halftime show was so good that it helped draw fans to the arena? Like, what if Beyonce could Well, ball? now, here's the question. Are we drafting the player because of their halftime draw or because of their skills on the court? Yeah. You are drafting this player because of their skills on the court, but the player will only sign with you if you let that player play halftime. Yeah, I'm all in. Let's do it. Is this a, one, this is a one-time, once-off event? Is, is, this half, oh, no. is this halftime oh, no. performance? How, what, what is the injury risk? <laughs> it's low very low okay then i'm in then i'm let's okay. do it <laughs> i mean you know there's there have always been athletes who have played a specific sport and not actually loved doing so they've really been into other things right uh, andrew andrew bynum yep there was a closer for the red sox in, in the 90s i can't remember his name but he he was like really into other sports but he was ended up being wait, good at wait, baseball so he's just making money doing what it. is andrew bynum good uh, at I think always oh i was just talking about he didn't love basketball <laughs> oh yeah he just didn't like the game period yeah not not because he had other skills he was good at bowling yeah. if i recall correctly 
So this exact situation happened in 1949, okay? The Celtics, uh, they drafted a guy named Tony Lavelli. And Tony Lavelli said, I will only play basketball as long as you also let me perform my accordion as the halftime show at every Celtics game. And he ended up having written into his contract that he received $125 per performance. That is over $1,300, $1,300 in present day value. Can I tell you more about Tony Lavelli? Yes, please. Yes, please do. So Tony was born in Somerville. He died in Laconia, New Hampshire. He was a 6'3", 185-pound small forward. 6'3", 185, playing small forward. Uh, Selected number four in the first round in 1949 after he studied music at Yale. He was described as soft, but he was a good shooter who specialized in the long-range hook shot. The Pisces and, boy, and like long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> He's, just imagine this soft, soft 185-pound small forward just launching long-range long hook shots. But he was really, really good. When he graduated, <laughs> listen, when he graduated from college, he was the all-time leading scorer in major college basketball. He scored more points than George How- Mikan. That's impressive, okay. I think. How long had major college basketball been around at, in 1947? I don't know, Josh. Any, do you have any knowledge of that? How long had what NBA basketball been around? No, major Just college in, basketball. No. Oh, in 1949. I don't have information on that. The NBA had only been around for, for I feel years. like the NCAA was around. No, I don't have any information on that. So he played two NBA seasons, one for the Celtics and another for the Knicks. And his first love was not basketball. It was definitely music. And he initially refused to sign with the Celtics so that he could enroll at Juilliard. But eventually he got some advice uh, from a sports executive uh, to write into his contract that he could perform. And so he basically leveraged playing basketball to perform at the halftime. Again, his his accordion. And um, the Celtics were, were good with that because they wanted that long-range hook shot. So he made his debut on November 24th, 1949 in a, ga- a game against the Fort Wayne Pistons. Scored 20 points in that game. He ended up averaging 8.8 per game over the course of that 1949-1950 season. But he received a lot more attention for his halftime performances. Uh, there is a, a quote in um, on Wikipedia that says, Indeed, some basketball historians have credited Lavelli's many concerts for saving the early Celtics franchise, which was in danger of folding due to lack of fans and money. So he was bringing people to the arena to see the Celtics play because of his halftime performance. Uh, typically, he would play Granada and Lady of Spain. I know that's a little TMI for you guys. Um, so usually he played in his basketball jersey because uh, he didn't have time to change clothes. And um, the Celtics finished last that season, but one newspaper jo- joked that um, the despite all of that losing, the, the players found his music soothing. Uh, he only... <laughs> He only played that one season for the Celtics, and then he signed with New York so that he could be closer to Juilliard, where he started attending classes. After that second season, he um, played a few seasons with the Harlem Globetrotters on the opposing team, also so that he could play concerts at halftime. Um, That's amazing. The accordion is amazing, first of all. I don't understand how people figure out how to play that instrument. It mystifies me. Um, Yeah, well, he was apparently so good, he he was drawing audience. Drawing audience, saving saving basketball franchises. Um, he would be worth one point seven billion dollars by himself right now. <laughs> what was this guy's name? <laughs> Tony Lavelli. L A V E L L I. Um, did you know that in nineteen fifty five the free throw line expanded from six feet to twelve feet? 
just for some perspective on what the NBA, NBA or uh, and college basketball were like when this this excellent musical talent was playing ball. Wait, the free throw line was was, <laughs> was six, six feet. feet. It was six feet until 1955, according to the NCAA's website. Oh, wow. So at least in college basketball. I did not know that. There, there. Just, just in case you're everybody's looking up Tony Lavelli, there is another Tony Lavelli who's a musician from that era. Make sure it's the one who played for the Celtics. And let's just take a quick moment to unpack this long range hook shot real quick, because this is this is to me the the diamond in the rough here. First of all, there's no three point line to all the young listeners out there. There was no three point line at this time, so these long three these long hook shots were. I'm guessing 18 to 20 footers if they were even around the, the three-point um, distance. Um, and a long-distance hook shot is not a two-foot jump, like half-shoulder-turn hook shot. A long-distance sh- hook shot is a running hook shot. This is, this is the sky hook we're talking about the Tommy Heinsohn. The Tommy Heinsohn, exactly. We all know that Kareem was shooting this shot. Even the youngsters know that. But they don't all know that this shot was shot by most players – uh, back in the day before Kareem. And, you know, this was, <laughs> it's just how great it is that this, that this story, you know, unearthed the long range hook shot as a thing. Um, unbelievable. Love it. Well, that's it for this episode. Please rate us five stars, subscribe, download, do your thing. Keep listening. Peace out. <laughs>